It's Wednesday night, and I'm teaching to you about faith. I want to know what it is, what does it do, does it work? It absolutely works. This is like faith works part two. I did faith works last week, part one. This is part two of Faith Works. What I've done, what, what I'm doing, I'm actually taking the word faith. I made copies of it off of, off of my, uh, <clears throat> my Strong's Concordance. And this is every time the word faith is in the Bible. And what I've been doing is going down and checking every word and what it has to say in each verse. Now, I'm not writing down all the words and going to try to cover every time it's mentioned. <clears throat> but some of the major things that it says, <clears throat> I'm going to try to impart to you. And I'm going to finish going through every word for faith in the New Testament. Faith, New Testament was written in Greek. In the Greek language, for nearly every word, you'll have a verb and a noun. The verb, the noun faith, is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis, that's the word faith in the Greek. The verb form is the word believe. If you ever wondered what believe meant, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, for by grace you are saved through faith, they're the same word. One shows the action when you believe, then that's what you do. Uh, the Bible speaks of obedience to the faith. Well, believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O. See the word P-I-S-T? That's called the stem of the word. That's the stem. Word endings are changed depending on some character of the word. This is the noun. This is the verb. So, if I'm going to go through my concordance and look at every word for faith, I need to look at every word for believe, don't I? Because that's what it's doing. And then you have the word a... P-I-S-T-I-S. Apistis. That alpha, first letter of the Greek alphabet, that's the alpha privative. It negates the word when it's placed in front of it as a negative particle. And apistis is the word unbelief. There's a man in Mark the ninth chapter, Jesus said, all things are possible to those that believe. And the man says, I believe, Lord. Help thou mine unbelief. He said, I've got a part of me that just don't believe. You know what he was saying? I've got little faith. i got little faith. i got oligos pistis. 
Oh, you have a little faith. Oh, God's pistis. And it hasn't grown enough for you to fully believe. But the man at least said, Lord, I believe, but I got some unbelief in me. The unbelief was his opinion. Now, I'm going to read something to you. I told you, I introduced it to you last week. It's called Sola Fide. Sola Fide is a term that was invented by Martin Luther. May have not been invented by him. It's a Latin word. It means faith solo. Faith solo or faith alone. They said man is justified by faith alone. I'm going to make a statement that I don't, I don't see how Luther could have believed this as he got older. Luther was a brilliant, brilliant man. He, he could speak the Greek, read the Greek, speak Latin. He knew bunches of languages. But I believe that when he and John Calvin came out of Roman Catholicism, it's like Walter Chantry, a Baptist preacher up on the East Coast, up in New York way. He said that these Roman Catholic priests, where they came out of the church and they had the ref- started the Reformation, he said they broke the back of papal superstition, but they brought a lot of baggage with them. And Luther, when he came out of the the Catholic Church, he said the book of James, he said the book of James was an epistle of straw. He didn't like the book of James being in the canon of Scripture. And it's because James is talking about works. I don't know how he missed it. But the Bible says faith works. I want you to turn over and I'm going to read some of this. I'm going to read some out of this paper. In fact, I probably ought to go ahead and read some out of it. Let me read this and then we'll go to Galatians, the fifth chapter. Sola fide, Latin for faith alone also known as justification by faith alone, is a Christian theological doctrine. Justification. To justify. The word justify is the word D-I-K-A-I-O-O. It comes from the word D-K. D-K-I-O is the word justify. And justify means to render or to pronounce innocent. That's what the judge says or the jury says when they say this, the judgment on this man is not guilty or guilty. Decay, decayo comes from decay, which means it's the Greek word right, means what is right. And when justified means to render innocent or pronounce that you are innocent. Justify is not the word saved. That's not saved. 
when the Bible says, can you see there in James, over in the book of James, uh, that second chapter, can you see how man is justified by works and not by faith only? Let me read something out of this paper. All right. Justification by faith alone is a Christian theological doctrine commonly held to distinguish many Protestant churches from the Catholic Church as well as Eastern Orthodox churches and Oriental. Oriental means Eastern, in case you didn't know. Occidental means West. We're Occidental over here. Uh, The doctrine of sola fide asserts God's pardon for guilty sinners is granted to and received through faith alone, excluding all works. That's very confusing to people. It's like works has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with what God saved you unto. Everything. All mankind, is, is it is asserted, is fallen and sinful under the curse of God, incapable of saving itself from God's wrath and curse. But God, on the basis of life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, alone, alone. Now, that's confusing. Why? Because all but one time, He says, well, let me read this and I'll come back. The resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, alone grants sinners judicial pardon or justification, which is received solely through faith. Well, that's very confusing because resurrection is the resurrection of Christ. Every time you find the word resurrection, anastasis, it is feminine gender, except one time. It is feminine gender. It is not talking about the resurrection of Jesus. It's talking about the resurrection of the church. The resurrection of the church or the body or the individual believers. As we die daily. Individual believers. And this is something I believe the church has failed on, and I believe Luther failed on it. Now, I'm not putting Luther down because the guy was extremely intelligent. He kind of was behind the, the Reformation, leaving the church, nailing his thesis, 95-point thesis on the door of the Roman Catholic Church in Wittenberg, Germany, complaining and particularly about all of their rituals and their free will and complaining. And it was a complaint against their uh, selling these indulgences. You could, that was his big kick was the indulgences. Indulgence. You could go to a priest on Monday and you could pay for a sin you was going to commit on Friday 
because you're going to go to a local pub and run into the same girl you messed with the week before and you could pay for the sin on Monday you was going to commit on Friday. That was an indulgence. And they were doing that in order to build St. Peter's Basilica of the Kingdom of St. Peter there in Rome. That's why they were doing it. And of course, he just went berserk on that. I would have too. Anyway, the, so the resurrection, resurrection means to come to life after dying. And what, how often do we die as believers? We die daily. Hymenes and Philetus were two false teachers working in the church at Ephesus when Timothy was pastoring there. And they were warned by Timothy, watch out, here's Ephesus on the western end of Turkey. And Hymenaeus and Philetus and Philetus Preach a doctrine that ain't like a canker. The word canker is G-A-G-G-R-A-I-N-O-S. It's our word gangrene. I looked up gangrene one day. It travels like it's six inches an hour. Travels fast. That's why they say we've got to cut the guy's leg off right now in some movie when you see him going through some severe thing in a battle. Say he's got gangrene and he'll be dead by this time tomorrow. Well, this ain't like a gangrene. Here's the doctrine they preach. The resurrection. And this proves it's not talking about Jesus' resurrection. Because Hymenus and Philetus preached the feminine resurrection, which was the resurrection of the church, is past. That was a doctrine that ate like a gangrene. And let me tell you, it's alive and well in the church today. Past is the word genomai. And genomai is a perfect verb they were preaching the there's nothing wrong with a perfect verb but what's wrong they're saying the resurrection is past the anastasis was something that happened one time in the past genomai means to come into being it is a form of genea, means born, born. It's also a form of genesis. The G is pronounced g. It's always hard. It's never genesis. It's never that. It's always genesis. G-E-N-N-E-S-I-S. It also comes from the word gene our genes are our ancestors <clears throat> it's our makeup in our bodies so this word genomai means to be birthed or come into being and they said 
it was a perfect verb means a past action past action not a continuing action but a past action that produces a current condition and Paul and and the scripture says to Timothy that is a gangrene what this is about is a one time resurrection when you got saved and you got it all then you don't have to do any growing and if you preach it's a one time thing then that eats like a canker and he says that's not the true resurrection and that's not even talking about the resurrection of Christ it can't be Anastasis is feminine gender now they could have said the resurrection of Jesus is past and that would have been correct couldn't they but this is a when the resurrection is past you have aorist indicative verbs an aorist indicative anytime you see one it means past tense but aorist indicative verbs come in various shapes and colors an aorist indicative you've got you got something on the action perfect verb means it is done in the past that's my condition today and there's no more resurrecting along the way that's what it means but you have you have a constitutive aorist indicative you have an aggressive aorist indicative you have a consumative aorist indicative these are different aorist indicative verbs why well if it's a consumative that means it's an action in the past one time and it was consumed at one time and ingressive ingressive means it starts a movement but it started in the past all of these start in the past past ingressive that's real easy for me to remember i was in real estate for 17 years and I had a a track of land on the market I had listed one time and it was landlocked. It was up the other side of Gallatin. Can't remember the old road it was on. And here's what it was. It was landlocked. Here's the road. I don't remember what it was. Rockland Road or something like that. A rock road or something. And there was a, a land. There was a lot here and a lot here. And a lot here. And the one I listed was back here behind these lots. And it was landlocked.
And there's a law in Tennessee, I guess they still have it. If you have landlocked land, they've got to give you an ingress. Somebody up front's got to give you an ingress, probably this guy directly in front of it, so you can have a path to get back to your land back here. And that's the law. It used to be the law. I don't know. haven't been around real estate in some long time, over 20 years. So you had to have an ingress. So this has an ingress, and you can't tell when it stops. It started back here. Well, that kind of sounds like we have a resurrection because we died daily, but so does the constative. It's real hard to find the difference between the ingress and the constative. A constative aorist indicative means it's continual. And you're not going to be able to tell when it stops, just like the ingressive, until something in the Scripture or something tells you it ends. And now we know with the end of time, all these ingressive and constitutive will end. So they were teaching this resurrection is past. Feminine gender can't be the resurrection of Jesus. Cannot. Do I believe God is that harebrained? No. I don't care what people say. I don't care what scholarly Greek teacher says. I don't care what he says. Sometimes I read a Greek teacher and I'll say, that ain't right. In fact, I read out of Mr. Mounce's book, one of the great Greek teachers of the day. He said, orge, which is feminine gender, that can be God's wrath as well as man's wrath. That is crazy. Do you think God can't come up with a word for his own wrath? That's feminine gender. I don't really have time to talk about that. And Mr. Mount says, well, it could be used for God's wrath. The reason they say that, they don't want to attribute the orgate to God that come up on man. You understand what I'm saying? Only those of you that heard me teach on it know what I'm talking about. Now, all right, where am I? Solo today. Let me erase this. So, what he's saying, if you think you got saved in the past, that's in all the action you need to be saved today, then you're not a believer. If you're not dying daily, Paul said, I died daily. He said, You have to take your cross daily and follow me. Didn't he say that? So, you have to be dying every day so you can resurrect every day. What is that talking about? Well, that's like death. You've got to know the meaning of the word death. Thanos. Or thanatos, either way. Thanatos means separation. This is the word death. When you die, your spirit leaves this body. You don't become to a place of annihilation. You're not annihilated. You would go to, if you're a believer, you go to be with the Lord. If you're not a believer, the rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes. And you'll head for hell in a millisecond. Now, separation. Now, what does it mean? That for people to separate, for to die daily, to take your cross. 
Usually if you talk to somebody about Christmas being Christ's Mass and it was Roman Catholicism and it was against the law to celebrate it 300 years ago in America because the Puritans, before they called themselves Puritans, were families in Europe and they were slaughtered by the Catholic Church because they wouldn't partake of the sacrament of the Mass. And there were 60 million of them died at the hands of Roman Catholicism. You tell people that and say that's where Christmas originated, the next time they see you, they'll say, oh, hey, uh, well, I have to run, and they'll separate from you, and that is a spiritual debt that you're undergoing. Or you tell them about predestination. The Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. I've got a way to tell people very quickly why predestination is necessary. And I just say to him, well, there's none that seeketh after God. There's none righteous, not one. If God does not ordain himself a family and put faith in their hearts, no one will go to heaven. And tell them that. That's enough said. Now, anyway, so when they see you, they want to separate from you, and they don't want to have anything to do with you. Let me get back to Sola Fidei. These are just a few of the... When people write me and comment to me on one message they saw me teach on and they don't even know the whole story, I'm not going to comment to any degree uh, about those people. Now, let me just read another paragraph of this on Sola Fidei. This is what Martin Luther, because he didn't like, the book of James didn't want works to have anything to do with this the doctrine of sola fide asserts God's pardon for guilty sinners is, is granted and received through faith alone excluding all works good deeds you have to know something about good deeds there's good deeds You're going to help a little lady across the street or take her a few groceries or go pick her up, take her to the grocery store. That is not going to get you to heaven. And then you have ritual. And ritual is where you go to church, you listen to some boring preacher, put you to sleep, and you think you did your duty to God by showing up on Sunday morning. Then you have God working in you then Philippians 2.13 working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure good pleasure And God is going to cause you. He's not going to birth you by his will. In John 1, 13, we are born not of blood, not of blood. And by the way, that's the word hema or hyma. Hyma. And it's plural. It means not of two bloods. Now here's what's amazing. Up until in the early development of medicine in the 1800s and 1900s, there's, uh, they thought that the blood came from the Father. 
They thought it come from the Father. And there's a famous book called Chemistry of the Blood. And it was written by Dr. Dehan. And he said that the blood came from the Father. We've discovered a whole lot of things about medicine since Dr. Dehan wrote his book in the 30s or the 40s, somewhere back then. He was, he was wrong. We found out that the blood from the baby comes from mom and dad, both. So what he's saying when he says not of blood, he's saying you cannot inherit it from your parents. From parents. He says not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh your parents cannot will you into heaven anybody who loves you so much cannot will you into it nor the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God you're born of God's will and that's the truth and you cannot accept it you cannot pray a prayer and get to heaven all of those are false doctrine it's not true I don't beat around the bush saying that then it, let me read I'm going to read just a little bit of this first paragraph all of mankind is fallen and sinful under the curse of God and incapable of saving itself from God's wrath and curse but God, on the basis of the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ alone, and it sounds like all you have to do is believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Did you know the Roman Catholics believe that? Did you know that all the false teachers believe that? Kenneth Copeland, Fred Price, Jesse Duplantis, and I believe they're going to hell. They believe that Jesus raised from the dead. You have to believe that Christ has to be resurrected in you. Let me show you. Go over here to 1 John, 4th chapter. I've given you this before, but I'm going to take time going through this. 1 John, 4th chapter. I come up here and I'm going to sell these things and I feel I'm going so slow. All right, fourth chapter, verse 1. I want you to notice what it says in the English and it sounds like it's saying something that's ludicrous. In the English, it is ludicrous. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. And I had one guy ask me, he said, well, don't you just try one on for size and see if that works? I said, no. No, that ain't it. This is the word dokimazo. Try. Or dokimas, it comes from dokimazo. Another ending, M-A-Z-O. Try. It means to put in the fire. Uh, try the spirits, put in the fire, The test, test the spirits. 
through all the fire, the trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth. When you place the alpha privative in front of a word as a negative particle, let me write that down, negative particle. Now, I didn't put the negative particle in front of it. Anytime I say that, it's in the text of Scripture. Adokimas, or adokimazo, is the word reprobate. It's also the word castaway. Paul said, if I do not bring my body in subjection, I become a castaway. Reprobate silver was a type of silver that had not gone through the uh, trying process and been put in the fire, and they cast this silver out in the street to be trodden underfoot of man. It wasn't worth anything. So that's cast away. So this word dokimos means to put in the trial. Now let's continue reading here. Try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Here's how you will know the Spirit of God in your life. This is what it's saying. Here's how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now that sounds like if you're a Buddhist or you're a Muslim or you're a... uh, or you're a charismatic, you're Kenneth Copeland, and you say Jesus came in a fleshly body, then you're going to heaven and you're of God, right? That sounds like it, doesn't it? It's not what it says. It doesn't say that in the Greek text. Confesseth is the word homo logeo. That's the word confess. It's also the word profess in Titus 1.16. Homologeo means to agree with. It's a form of homo or homu means of the same and logos is the word word. It means to agree with or to be of the same word. You mean you can say it with your mouth? Well, notice how these things have to click together. He says, every spirit that agrees that Jesus Christ not as coming in a fleshly mortal body. It doesn't say that. That every spirit that confesseth that Christ is coming, the S A R X feminine gender, feminine gender. Every spirit that agrees with Christ has come in the feminine flesh of Christ. 
What is the feminine flesh? The church is God. It's the church. You have to... See, that is very confusing in the English, isn't it? Extremely. You mean all these false teachers get the hold of heaven? No! And he only comes in this flesh when we die daily. He teaches us that. Let me show you one other thing about this. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is coming in the feminine flesh or the or the body of Christ, the flesh is the bread, the bread is the body, the body is the church. Remember, I could go to all these verses. The flesh in John 6 is the bread. The bread is the body in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. And the body is the church in Colossians 1, 18 and 20. So, you have to confess that Christ has come in the body of the church. But that's confusing there. I read that for years and I thought, what in the world? I mean, all you got to do is confess that Christ has come in a fleshly body? No. And if he comes in you, he's going to cause you to die daily, isn't he? Notice the resurrection. People are just going to say, I believe Jesus raised from the dead. I get to go to heaven. But I'm not going to do any dying. No, you're not. You're going to hell, probably. And to, that what goes with this is back up to the Titus. The way you can tell if somebody's a believer, what they say is going to match what they do. Do. What they do. Look here in Titus. Person second Timothy Titus. He's talking about verse fifteen. Under the pure all things are pure. This is the first chapter of Titus. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. These are not believers, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess with the mouth. That's the word homologeo. They profess with their mouth. Takes more than confessing with the mouth. Watch what it says. They profess that they know God, but in works, they deny Him. Deny is the word A-R-N-E-O. M-A-I. Contradict. If you contradict, I got a shirt that says, if you do not believe in in predestination, you are antichrist. If you don't believe in predestination, you're antichrist. I've talked to people that say, well, God knew who would accept him. That's right, nobody. There's none that seeketh after God. And if you contradict him, look over here at First John. Back to First John. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Unto every good work there reprobate. Reprobate means no fire. Adokimos means we don't like the fire. We don't want any fire in our life. Without the fire, you're not a believer. And you can deal with that or not. Now, 
go back over here. I was going somewhere. I forgot what. First John. First John. All right. I was going to give you something. I don't know where I was going. Oh, here it is. So if you deny Christ with what you do and the way you live, here's what the Bible says you are. Verse 22, chapter 2. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. If you contradict God about the way you live and about what you do, if you say one thing and do another, you are Antichrist. Have I been Antichrist? Yeah, I have been. I didn't say you were the Antichrist. You're not the man of sin, but you are Antichrist. Anti means instead of. That's a Greek word. It means instead of. You place yourself in the place of Christ when you say, I don't believe in predestination. I've had many people tell me that. I'm a Christian. I've been born again, but I don't believe that. I believe that's heresy. Now, you're the heretic. Hertikos. H-A-I-R-E-T-I-K-O-S. It means to choose for oneself to choose for oneself it's a form of H-A-I-R-E-S-I-S heresis would be our word heresy and it is the word sect the sect of the Pharisees it means to set you up a boundary line and you can't go outside our boundary because we are Baptists and we got a Baptist doctrine. We are charismatics. What of what amazes me, people get mad at me for preaching against the charismatics and the Baptists and the charismatics and the Church of Christ all hate each other in private. Because they all disagree about the weight of salvation. All of them. They don't like me to put call down the Catholics. Well the Baptists believe you got to accept Christ and press sinners prior to go to heaven. That's not true. I've gone through that a hundred times. Uh, the Church of Christ can believe you got to be dipped in water by a Church of Christ preacher. Well, you got to be blood baptized to go to heaven, but not be dipped in water. And then the Charismatics believe you got to speak in tongues to get to be go to heaven. Crazy, insane. You got to believe in miracles and tongues and all their wacky beliefs. It's wacky, especially when tongues is the word dialectos and glossa. Now, so you're out of Christ if you contradict God by the way you live. Have I been out of Christ? Yeah. Have anybody else here been an out of Christ? That's right. But when we come out of it, we're not supposed to be that anymore. And I'll read the rest of this paragraph and I'll get back to the other things God on the basis of the life death and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ alone well the resurrection of Christ in us grant centered judicial pardon or justification which is received solely through faith Luther pushed faith alone works have nothing to do with anything that's wrong 
You're not saved by works, but you're saved by a working faith. If it don't work, it's a dead faith. Christ's righteousness, according to the followers of soul of the day, is imputed by God to a believing sinner as opposed or infused or imparted. I don't even know what to say there. So that the divine verdict and pardon of the believing sinner is based not upon anything in the sinner, and it's not. It's not any good thing that you can do. Once he births you, do you think he births you into his family so you can live the way you want to? Live freely and free will and say, I'm saved and I got saved one night. Uh, my resurrection was passed when I died one time and I don't have to do any more dying. Yes, you do. To be a believer, you do. I'm afraid all these people walking down the aisle to get saved in these Baptist churches are not necessarily believers. Their life don't change. They get up on their feet, go out there, and rip and tear through the world, cheating people, lying. And I've had people say, well, I got saved one night. That's all that matters. Mary's got a cousin. He used to own a plumbing company here. I saw him at a grocery store one night. He said, well... I made everything right. He was very wealthy. Had a, At the time, it's probably a million and a half house on the lake. At the time, it was about 700000 back in the early 80s. He said, well, got everything fixed. I got my business. I got my house. I got my lake home. It's paid for. I got my cars. They're all paid for. Everything's paid for. I went to the church, and, and I got saved. The preacher led me in a prayer, and I got saved, and everything's done, and I don't have anything to worry about. don't have anything to pray for anymore. And he thought praying was to get saved. I'm sorry, but you go to hell without Christ. Without a change, without dying daily, you're not going to heaven. There has to be a gradual change in your life. As you mature and grow, and as faith grows, then it goes on to say after this first paragraph, the divine verdict and pardon of the believing sinner is based not upon anything in the sinner, but on Jesus Christ, his righteousness alone. But his righteousness has to come alive in us which are received through faith alone. Justification by faith alone is distinguished from other graces of salvation. And he says, I won't read him on this. He does say in this paper, Martin Luther elevated sola fide to the principal cause of the Protestant Reformation. When they say faith alone, they just ignore all the works. And they say, man is justified by faith alone. Nothing else has to do with it. Well, it is, but you have to know, like I keep saying, you take a pinwheel. You can't take any one word. You can't take any one word and come up with a finality just with one word and one definition. You know what I'm you know what I'm talking about? Alright. Faith. It's like a pinwheel.
I may not be able to fill all these out right now, but faith works. I, I said it last week. It's like having a car. And you got to... And it's going this way. Okay. Now he's got these wheels. Somebody says, I bought a new car. And you say, I want to see it. Go to see it and you say, open the hood. And they say, well, it don't have a motor. Don't have a motor. It's not a car, it's a shell. The motor is agape. And the car is faith. Faith without a motor is not faith. It's a dead faith. That's what James says. It's a dead faith. You're going to find that faith, faith and and love, not phileo, but agape, are connected all through the New Testament. Faith and love. I'll show that in a minute. I'll show you some of the verses on it. Now, let's go back over to Galatians 5. I can't read this enough. Galatians, the fifth chapter. Let's read a little before verse 6. And let's read here in verse 4. This has been a very confusing verse to most people because they don't know what it says. Christ has become a no effect unto you who are justified by the law. Anytime it says justified by the law, remember justified, D-I-K-A-I-O-O? If you're justified by the law, I keep saying this. There's two parts to the law, isn't there? Two parts. And this cannot be talking about the Spirit. There's the Spirit and the letter of the law. Let's read this before we go any further. Just hold your place here and look over here in Second Corinthians. I need to just verify this so you can see it for yourself. Second Corinthians 3 and verse 6. Speaking of Christ and God verse 6 who hath also made us able ministers of the New Testament not of the letter it's not of the letter of the law that's the rituals of the law not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter killeth but the spirit giveth life that's what we have to understand. This is about the letter and the spirit. Let me give you something else on this. Hold on here. Let me get my paper open. 
So we're talking about the letter. The letter is the rituals of the law. Is the rituals. The spirit is the truth of the law. It's the truth. Now, we're not, we're saved by the spirit of the law, not the letter. Has the law done away with? No. Can you go out and steal? Can you commit adultery? Can you, uh, can you go out and uh, rob a bank? People say, the law's done away with. Well, next time your neighbor does something wrong, just get your gun out and go shoot him. And it's okay, because the law's done away with, all right? If his tree goes over your yard, and and he goes out and cuts the if it goes over in your yard and you cut the tree and he screams at you, just shoot him. Because that way you solve it all. If the law's done away with, the Bible says... All in this same chapter of Galatians 5. Look here. Back to Galatians, the fifth chapter. Galatians 5, 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But that word love is not phileo. It's the word A-G-A-P-E-O. It's the verb form of agape. And what is agape? Second John 6. This is Agape, love, that we walk. I can't get away from this. Walk after his commandments. Well, what are the commandments of God? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. That's a very small amount of God's commandments. Every imperative mood in the Greek. When Jesus was given imperative mood or when one of the epistles that was inspired by the Holy Spirit gave an imperative mood, that is a command. That's God's law. We use the illustration so many times. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. That's one of my favorite imperative moods. Agonizomai. Means to agonize in the agon. The agon was the arena where they killed all the Christians. The agon was the arena where they turned them over to the. There it is, right there. This great big circular coliseum was called the agon. Get in there as a Christian, and the world. Paul said, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. He didn't mean I fought with lions. He calls evil men beasts. And they were devouring. God's people in the agon. So that is not a choice on your part. The way you can have the world attacking you is working, doing the works of God and faith works. So, but you have to know 
Faith does not work by phileo. Both of these words have been translated love. Love. Both of them. Now, let's back up to back up to verse 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified, dekayao, declared innocent by the law. It's talking about the letter of the law. You're going to keep all the rituals. You'll keep Passover and Pentecost and Feast of Ingathering and the Day of Atonement. And you're going to offer all the sacrifices like they do in some of these so-called churches like they do in the in the uh, Seventh-day Adventist. How can you keep the Day of Atonement? You need a Passover lamb. How can you keep a Passover? You need a Passover lamb as well as the entire four articles of the Passover. How can you keep a day of atonement in the tenth day of the seventh month? You need a, a you need a goat, and you need to kill it and offer it on the Ark of the Covenant. Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it's our heart. So if some guy comes up to you, starts sprinkling uh, blood on your chest, saying, "I'm not the Ark of the Covenant." We have no Ark of the Covenant. You can't do those. Isn't that amazing? The Seventh-day Adventists, the the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and all the people that want to keep all the rituals, they do the letter of the law, and that kills. But there's a spiritual Passover. I can't go into that right now. There's a spiritual Day of Atonement when our hearts are sprinkled. There's spiritual across the board. Spiritual Jew, spiritual circumcision. Let me ask you this. When the Bible says that God will circumcise our heart, let me see, I've got it right here. In Deuteronomy 30 and 6, the Lord God will circumcise thine heart. Do you have anything to do with Him circumcising your heart? You don't have nothing to do with that. He picks out who He wants as His people and He circumcises their heart and cuts off sin from their heart. We don't have anything to do with that, do we? Nothing. Now, if you're justified by the rituals of the law, you're fallen from grace. What does that mean? If you're justified by the works of the law, not by the spirit of the law, you're falling falling further and further away from the grace of God. It doesn't say you're falling out of grace. You can't fall out of grace. If you try to be justified by the works that you do, you're falling farther and farther away from grace and you're working your way into hell. That's what you're doing. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Righteousness comes by faith, but faith is death to self. Let me keep reading. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. Why is he talking about circumcision to the people at Galatia? Galatia was actually a state in what we call Turkey. They call that Asia Minor. 
Asia Minor, and Galatia is a state here. And in that state, you had three or four particular cities, Antioch, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. That would be like saying Nashville, Memphis, uh, Murfreesboro, and uh, Chattanooga. Huh? Chattanooga. 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 Oh, Chattanooga. 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 That's what it'd be like saying. So this would be Nashville, Tennessee. That would be Antioch, Galatia. So when he's writing to Galatia, he's writing to what happened in these churches. And what was it happening in these churches? Oh, they persecuted him, tried to kill him. He got to Lystra. They took him outside the city. It wasn't the people of Lystra that did it. It was the people from Antioch. It was a bunch of Pharisees that didn't like it when he preached in the Acts 13 and 14. And he's preaching to them there at Antioch in the 14th chapter. And at Antioch, they run him out of town because he's preaching about how Christ was resurrected. And the Pharisees are the Pharisees of the Babylonian synagogue over in Turkey or in Galatia. They've come from over here in Babylon, come over here, and they run him out of town. And then they wait a couple of weeks, go down to Iconium. They're still so mad at him, they get the people of Iconium to run him out of town. And he goes down to Lystra and he runs into a bunch of pagans. And these pagans think he's wonderful because he heals a man. The pagans like him and all these Pharisees, these bunch of Baptist preachers, hate him. And then he goes down to Derby, And then he comes and at Lystra, right after he's stoned and left for dead, he's beat up real bad. When they stoned a man, they would take him on a high cliff, push him off, hoping to break his neck or disable him somehow. And if that doesn't kill him, they take these stones, 20, 25, 30 pounds, and throw them down on him. That's how they stoned a man. They didn't throw rocks at him. He could dodge those, you know. <laughs> and they'd throw these, and he'd break his legs. Paul was busted up. Then he made that statement. In Acts 14, in the 14th chapter of Acts, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. When you're entering tribulation, don't think you're being, you you hadn't experienced nothing like he's experienced. Then when he went to Derby, turned right around, went back to these places. He was a glutton for punishment. He had a lot of guts. So that's what he's talking about. Now, where was I? That's why he said, oh, by the way, he heads back from Galatia. And when he's headed back to Jerusalem, on the way, there's some Judaizers that follow him from up here in Galatia. And they're saying, we've got to go back and circumcise those Gentiles. 
God said it would take men to proselyte baptism and proselyte circumcision. And he said, no, we're not going to do that. Put something on them that's too heavy for them to bear. So they were talking about going back and circumcising. All through the book of Galatians, he's talking about circumcision don't mean anything but of the heart. So when he says, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor faith of anything nor uncircumcision, that's because he's talking to the churches at Galatia. These Judaizers want to go back and circumcise these Gentiles that had become believers. Because you had a program of the Pharisees if you were circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves, then you got to go to you got to be a member of the kingdom of God, which was, that was a proselyte process to become a certified Jew, a proselyte Jew of the gate. Now, so he says, the only thing that matters is faith that works. Faith. I don't know how Martin Luther got around this. Faith worketh by agape by love faith does not work by phileo faith doesn't work by liking somebody and being nice to them taking ice cream and cake and go over and helping them uh, doctor them and giving them some uh, aspirin with their fever get going up that's not what it's talking about faith works by your walking in the commandments of God. Walking in commandments. And that would include all the imperative moods in the Greek. And all the imperative moods would include things like, well, let me show you. Look over here in Ephesians. Ephesians In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, here's an imperative mood. I could preach on this about faith the rest of my life. Every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I could preach on this if I live to be 90 every message because I've got a 10,000 dozen things to say about this. And all of it's going through my head. And I feel like I'm going so slow I can't get it to you. Now here's an imperative mood. This is talking about the winds of doctrine in verse 14. Men are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. The word slight is cubia. Cubia is our word cube. It's talking about they have a slightness and it has to do with dice. It's like switching to loaded dice. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in being nice. <laughs> Didn't say that. Speaking the truth in agape. 
Agape is walking in the commandments of God, and he's going to give you one of the commandments just shortly here. Walking in commandments. That's what agape is. But the commandments of God are not always nice. They don't always make you feel good. So if you if you're if faith works by agape, sometimes the imperative moods are very uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Now I've got a a paper and it's got about eight over eighteen hundred imperative moods in the New Testament. Some of them are used by the Pharisees. An imperative mood by used by Jesus and by and by the inspired scripture is going to be something you have to do. Not all of a sudden, but very slowly you're going to come to a place of realizing. And you can't memorize all the imperative moods, but they will be going on in your heart. That's the point. They'll be going on in every one of us. They're going on in me every day. Certainly a lot more now than they were 20 years ago. They're going on in me a lot more than when I was 45. In my early 40s, I was trying to get rich in real estate. But I knew the truth in my heart. And I'd even tell people that. Now, so he says, speaking the truth in love and grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Remember the head is Christ there in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And the body is the church. He's the head of the body. And then he goes on to say, from whom the whole body is fitly joined together. Fitly joined is the word soon my soon. A R M A Arma Legeo L E G O M A I. That's construction of sum means in fellowship with in fellowship harmos means to articulate harmos lego is the verb form of logos which is the word word it means to articulate the Word of God in fellowship with believers. You can't do that without studying it. It reminds me of Nehemiah the 8th chapter. I usually go to this when I hit that. Nehemiah the 8th chapter. Nehemiah and Ezra were bosom buddies. They were friends. Nehemiah. How much time do I have, Mike? I'm going to have to speed up. I'm not getting anywhere. All right. Nehemiah. Sometimes I get up here with notes and I think, I'm going to run through those real quick. And I don't. 
Ezra and Nehemiah of Job. Wait a minute. I'm in the wrong place. Nehemiah the 8th chapter. And that's what this reminds me of. Now, Ezra was the scribe. Ezra was a descendant of Aaron, the high priest. Ezra is given credit for correlating all the Old Testament together to one book. And Ezra was coming back from his time in Babylon or in Persia and all the people gathered themselves together verse 1 as one man in the street that was before the water gate and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel and Ezra the priest brought their law before the congregation both men and women and all that would hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. The seventh month was the month where we had the Feast of Ingathering and the Day of Atonement. That's in the month Tishri, our month September, October. And he read therein. Now, you wouldn't like to listen to Ezra. Listen to how, how long he listen to how long he speaks. He read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday. Morning started about 6 o'clock until noon, till midday. Before the men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Now I'm going to skip on over here and show you what he was reading. Verse 8, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. I love that word. Uh, It's the word parash. P-A-R-A-S-H. Distinctly, this means to to disperse or to specify everything, the parts of speech, what they meant. That's like when when you diagram a sentence. You put the subject here and then the verb or the predicate here and then the either the direct object or the predicate nominative. It's the predicate nominative. You aim that separating line back because it has the same meaning as the subject, the predicate nominative. And you're modifying words down in here. So that's the same thing as explaining what the culture, the customs, the idioms, and the metaphors. Now, so they read from the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense the sikel it means to define the words tell exactly what they meant the intelligence of the words is what it means and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading you can't let you explain what you're reading it doesn't mean nothing does it 
You need to know. That's why I explain so many things. That's why I define words. I define the same words over and over and over and over. Do you think you can get it if I do that? You think eventually you may say, I think I remember that word. Jim, you don't have to say it. Yeah, I'm going to say it for the others that don't remember it. You remember all of them? (laughs) All right, now let's go back over here to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Because I'm going to show you one of the laws of God that's an imperative command and it's not going to be very nice to these men who are teaching here. These that are, have the winds of doctrine. And the whole body fitly joined sumar by understanding harmas distinctly what the words mean. Same thing that Nehemiah was saying. It's compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part and maketh the increase of the body the church unto edifying of itself in love, in agape. You edify in agape. That's what 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 says. 8 and 1 says the same thing here. Edify. O-I-K-O-D-O-M-E-O. Orkodomeo is construction of oikos and dome. Dome is our word. Dome means roof. When you finish the roof of the house, oikos means house or family, then the work is finished. The house is built. And the house is built, edified, it's the same word, build. I will build my church. Orkodomeo. It's the same word as edify. Anytime you see edify and you see build, it's the same word. I don't know why they made it different. Edifying of the church in walking in God's commandments. Let me give you one of them. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity metautes m-a-t-i-o-m-a-t-a-i-o-t-e-s in the vanity of their minds they're wandering around it just means transientness because of these winds of doctrine they're just wandering around That's what it does to the church. Where's the command about this? We'll get to it. And the vanity of the mind, having their understanding darkened by these winds of doctrine, being alienated, apolotrio, estranged away from the life of God through ignorance that is in them, through being ignorant and uninformed because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling apalgeo apal geo apalgeo means apathetic they don't feel anything 
What happens? You want to know what's wrong in these churches with these people that you try to talk to? They're apathetic. They don't care. It comes from pathos and the alpha primitive. I don't care. No feeling. Pathos means to be in pain or be in some kind of hurt. They don't have any hurt. They're dull of hearing because of the winds of doctrine. Then he goes on to say, They've given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with with greediness. But you have not learned Christ this way. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, then put off concerning the formication, former conversation, the old man. Here's another, another chapter about putting on the new man, which is corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lusts. I don't have time to define all these words. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, same thing as Romans 7, same thing as Colossians 3, same thing as 2 Corinthians 4. He's talking about the new man and the old man. That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, like the winds of doctrine do, like the Baptists and the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, Church of Christ, Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Take the cover off and tell him the truth. For we are members of one another. Be angry. There's some agape right there. O-R-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. That's masculine gender. That's God's anger. Or gizomai. And it's an imperative mood. It is a command of God when you run across these lying false teachers that make the church wander around. They get apathetic and they just don't care. Be angry at them. I have an anger against Kenneth Copeland, against T.D. Jakes against Jesse the plant. He's got the IQ of a plant. They're ignorant. You know, I believe they are. I believe they're stupid people. Stupid means dull of hearing. It's the word brutish. It's the word allogos in the New Testament. It's the word ba'ar in the Old. It means they're dull of hearing. They can't hear God. And they're shouting these winds of false doctrine God commands us that's the only place he commands us to be angry that I know of is against false teachers not at each other now you know how many of these there are these there's dozens of these commands in our life if you're going to if faith worketh by agape death to self faith is death to self it works by walking in the commandments of God. One of the commandments is to be angry at these men that preach these lying truths, untruths. There's not one word of truth that I hear. I don't believe in the churches out there. I don't believe in the Baptist churches that 
And people make excuse for preaching, I accept Christ and a sinner's prayer for salvation. It's just not true. The Bible says it's not. I'm angry at the Baptist preachers I was raised around. I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. I'm tired of them. Let me give you a couple of verses about faith and love together. Faith worketh by agape. Look over here in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. When you think of agape and faith, it's like that car. Faith is the car, but it's got to have a motor. When it says faith worketh, worketh is the word E-N-E-R-G-E-O. It's our word energy, and we get our word energized from that. Energized. Faith is energized by agape. Agape is walking in all of these commandments. Look over here in 1 Corinthians 13. He puts faith and agape together here. Remember, the word charity is the word agape. Every time you find charity, it's agape. So charity is walking in the commandments of God. And he says in chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, people don't have any idea what that means. I heard somebody say, See, we speak with angels' tongues. Though I speak with the tongues of men, though I speak with a glossa, I'm in Corinth, and there's all these men with these foreign languages coming in the church. Though I speak with the foreign languages of men and of angel, A-G-G-E-L-O-S, messengers, the word angel means a messenger. Though I'm a messenger of God, And I'm speaking the truth of God's word in these glossa to these people at Corinth because at Corinth you had all of these sailors and merchants coming through there speaking all of these glossa. He said, though I'm able to impart the message of God to all of these different people from all over the world. And he says, and angels and have not agape he's talking about agape I am become a noise maker I'm a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal if I'm not walking the walk when I'm talking the talk I'm making a noise and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith, faith has to be accompanied by agape so that I can remove mountains and have not agape. He's saying agape belongs with faith here, isn't he? Then I am nothing. You're nothing if you have faith and you don't have the motor. You can't go anywhere Without the motor, it's a dead faith. Now, let me give you a couple other verses. 
Ephesians three seventeen. You're going to find this happens all through the scripture. Three. 17. Let me get my other Bible. I got something written down in it. Ephesians 3. Bible says we have to be rooted and grounded. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you be rooted and grounded in agape. Faith and agape is together here, isn't it? Rooted is the word rantizo or ritizo, R-H-I-T-Z-O. Ritizo means to be stabilized. I am rooted and grounded. The word grounded is the word thamelio. T-H-E-M-E-L-I-O-O. It's a form of T-H-E-M-I-L-O, Thamelio, which is the word foundation, and it means to be founded or to be stable, but I'm stabilized in agape. He said, faith is stabilized in agape. Let me give you another one of these. Ephesians 6.23 Am I out of time, Mike? 6.23 Peace be to my brethren and love agape with faith. He puts this together because faith is the car Agape is the motor. And sometimes agape is uncomfortable because God says, He says, for us to separate from people who walk disorder. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines you have learned, and avoid these people. They that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches they deceive the hearts of the simple when he says avoid them eklino is an imperative command stay away from people who preach another doctrine another Jesus stay away from them that is a command of God and if you live long enough and you get strong enough you won't want to be around them, even if it's your own family. I don't like to be around my family. They want to talk about things I don't believe in. They want to talk about gospel music or my brother's career or my sister's children or some vacation they went on or the wallpaper in their house. I'm not interested in talking about that or y'all. Now, maybe you like wallpaper. I don't know. Maybe you like to talk about paint. I don't care about that. There's another verse there. When the Bible says speaking the truth in love, love has to, truth has to do with faith. I don't even have time to explain that because I'm right at running out of time. I've got all these verses on what faith does. 
Faith does not work by phileo, by being affectionate to people. It works by telling the truth to them. And when you tell them the truth, they want to crucify you for it. And that when you're telling the truth, that's agape. And faith works by the truth you tell people. Now, I know some of you are not old enough or you hadn't been around long enough to say things to people. How do you get to where you do that? Well, you learn a lot of these words. That's why I repeat them over and over. I think if you can learn these words and say them to people, the more you learn them, the more truth you say, the stronger you get. And you say, Jim, I'll never learn all those words you know. Well, you can learn some of them. And use the ones you know and don't ever get mad at somebody because they don't listen. Just walk away from them. Just tell them, here's what the Bible says. And tell them a Greek word. Tell them cosmos. And the word the world is cosmos. It means the orderly arrangement. John 3.16. And, and tell them that if you can learn that so is an adverb and what adverbs are and what they do. So is an adverb. Adverbs tell how, when, where, sometimes why. And they'll tell you, and they modify. Modify means to alter. They modify verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. So modifies the verb loved. It means it alters loved. Therefore, God doesn't love everybody. He so loved. So is the most important one word in fact, so is one of the most important words in all the New Testament because it shows that God doesn't love everybody. And that John 3.16 is a predestination verse. It makes it that. I've run out of time. I haven't even started to get a lot of my notes. I don't know why I do that. I think sometimes I'm coming to church, I think, I ain't going to have much to say tonight. And I can't even start to get into my notes. I'll get in those next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help the people here to learn. That's what we're here for. I'm here to teach them so they go out prepared. Thank you for truth. Fight our battles. Defend us on every front. We'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I, I hope y'all can understand what you're doing is you're learning like you're going to some real conservative seminary. Because I'm conservative and this is a seminary. A very good college class tonight. Huh? It was a good college class tonight. Good college class, okay. I want y'all I want y'all to learn. Thank you. I need them both a lot. I've got three that I just got. Well Charday. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Learn a lot. I love you. I love you too. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate you. <laughs> just don't listen to nobody's gossip. If I'm there, I just laugh at him. I was, but it was just... <laughs> it's dumb. Yeah, it really is. You think the people up there know that? 
that the stuff he's he's going to Hopefully they'll remember. Go to the contacts and say what's the name of the... Maybe Sade's son, Davion. You know what it's all Vix looks like. You gonna say hey to me? Yeah. <laughs>